Lord, thank you for these men that you continue to work in all of our lives in such a way that we think it would be worth getting up early, making an effort to get here, and giving you our ears and our hearts to reflect on truths that we believe will help us um, be spurred on to what it is that you intend for all of us. And that is not to be men in the way the world defines it, but to be conformed in the image of your Son. The greatest lover and leader who ever lived, who made provision for all the ways that we are going to fail and have failed as men. I'm I'm thankful for Christ and for the way he loved me and for the way that he has made provision for my continued imperfection. And so I pray that whatever we do these last weeks and this morning would lift him up, would be consistent with his word, and uh, would bring glory to him. We are men that are to be made in your image. And so we realize that there are a lot of folks who have a hard time wanting anything to do with you because of the way that uh, we have abused the name Father, because of the way that we have, um, as men made in your image, imaged you. So we thank you for grace, and we also thank you for a chance to sharpen ourselves now. And I pray we would avail ourselves to both, all the grace that Christ offers and all the good that comes through the instruction that you offer us. So teach us now. In the name of Jesus, who we want to follow, we pray. Amen. Now, man, I know that not everybody in this room wants to follow Jesus or even knows how to follow Jesus. But uh, I made uh, as best case as I could last week that I think that the biggest reason that all of us as men struggle being the man that we want to be is, is not just because of a society that's drifted away from um, traditional mores and even uh, cultural phenomena that would help us to be protectors and providers. I don't think it's because our dads have not been great role models for us. I don't think it's because moms have uh, rebelled against a broken manhood to um, either protect us from becoming those kind of men or enable us to not be men at all or to control us so that um, there wouldn't be another man that disappoints them. I think that the biggest wound in all of our life is a heart wound. And we live in fear, and we live in anger, and we live in brokenness. And that is the thing, this, this corruption of truth in our life is the biggest wound that we have. Jesus is the one that said, I want you to have truth, and truth is going to set you free. And the freedom that comes is not the freedom to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it, but the freedom to do whatever you need to do every time you need to do it so you can be the man that you want to be, that the world longs for, that women desire, that kids lay in their bed at night and dream that one day they could be like you and go to sleep with a smile on their face and a smile on their heart because you are their king. That is what it means to be a man. And I'm going to talk this morning about, uh, again, a little bit of what I think that ultimate picture of manhood is. And I'm going to talk to you about our role as men in the lives of other men. And I'm going to talk to you about what I think is one of the most neglected things that we do. Um, that, that, that one of the most neglected things in our life that keeps us from growing and sustaining in our leadership of other men. And specifically, it is in our gathering with each other, pouring into each other, not isolating from each other. Um, one of the, a, a young man that, that's a member of our body that I've become good friends with over the years, and many of you know, um, is one of the mightiest warriors on earth. He's a Navy SEAL. We have several guys that 
um, from our body that have continued in uh, their training to follow in Clint's footsteps. And, and this, this whole Navy SEAL thing has really taken off the last 10 years. The, the whole movie that's out right now, this Acts of Valor, the SEALs have done a great marketing job, if nothing else, of making us believe they're the most competent warriors on earth. And it's well-deserved. But one of the things that I happen to know about that little group of mighty men and one of the reasons I'm glad that that's been the venerated warrior of our day as opposed to the venerated warrior of, um, you know, I guess about two decades ago is because of what SEALs really believe. See, about two decades ago, maybe three decades ago, the mightiest warrior on earth was a warrior that did not need a platoon. What was his name? Johnny Rambo. And he was completely sufficient and able to take on a lot of folks as he operated on his own. Rambo could stitch up his own wound when he uh, had a problem, and he could fight like he was innumerable uh, uh, number of men that were warring with him. I was talking to Clint actually yesterday, so let me just tell you something. If Rambo was part of my platoon, I would have shot him in the leg just to get rid of him. Because we have no use for a man like that. The SEALs have a motto, and that is that two is one and one is none. He said, if I'm alone or any seals alone, we're running. He said, the ocean is a terrible swim buddy. And I thought to myself, what a tremendous analogy for what I want to talk about today. The ocean is a terrible swim buddy. The ocean of discouragement, the ocean of brokenness, the ocean of despair, the ocean of just those things that war against us is a terrible swim buddy. And if you try and show your Rambo-ness, your manness, by going at this alone, let me just tell you, you will not go at it for long. The mightiest warriors on earth don't go at it alone. They are part of a band of brothers. And it is no surprise when you look at a loving father's admonition to you, the very first thing he calls you to do is learn to live in community and submission and mutual respect and honor and dignity and care and concern for each other. And the idea that real men, all they need is just time alone with Jesus is one of the great, great problems of our day. The first problem is that men don't need Jesus. The second one is that, okay, if I've got Jesus, that's all I need. But I would tell you, when you've got a relationship with God, the very first thing God calls you into is a family, a community of men that will run with you. And so this morning, we're going to go hard at that one idea, that God wants you to have men that will come alongside of you, with you, for you. The idea of being a mentor, not just the one-on-one, but the idea of being men that are for each other in the tour of duty is what I want to talk about a little bit today. I love the sitcom, Everybody Loves Raymond, and uh, I want to just show you one little clip from this. We'll come back to it in just a second. But here's this idea all over again of boys that had a dad that never mentored them. And they find out that, in fact, he was mentoring somebody else. Watch this. Good morning. Does Frank Barone live here? What did he do? Nothing. I'm just an old friend. Friend? Are you his family? Who wants to know? Yeah, yeah, he's our father. I'm Ray, this is Robert. Well, my name's Sam Galula. I haven't seen Mr. Barone in about 25 years. He's a great man, your father. 
you say Frank Barone? Yeah. I, when I was a teenager, I used to work after school at the same company as your father. He was a real mentor to me. Mentor? You sure you don't mean tour mentor? Oh, my. Well, let's take a look right here uh, at just a few things we have down. Now, I'm going to give you a little chance to write some stuff on your own, do some, some basic reflecting. We've, we've talked about this a lot. I want to tell you, our, our goal to be men, act like men, comes right out of the admonition in Scripture. It's one of the things that we're called to do. Be on the alert. Realize that there is all kinds of trouble in the ocean of this world, and we are to stand firm and not be tossed here and there by every wind and wave of doctrine and doing. And doesn't that define most men? We are to act like men. We are to be strong. We are not to act like we're strong by intimidating and dominating and dictating to other people how to live, but be strong in what is right and what is good. We're not to advocate our role. We're to be strong. And in everything we do, we're to make sure it is done in love. That's what a man does. The problem we've identified now over the last couple of weeks is that men have lost their design for greatness. We don't really know what it is to be a man. We've identified this. We talk about society mocks us. I've said it almost every week. Not only is it harder to be a man today, it's harder to become a man. Fathers fail to model for us what it is to be a man. Mothers enable or control us and protect us from being the men like their husbands and fathers are and were. And then our own heart deceives them. And too few men are around them, who are concerned for them and cheer for them. I really believe that one of the things that really hurts us is that we, we look at what our society celebrates. I, I, uh, I, I've quoted a guy named Joe Ehrman here before. I'm going to show you a, a little bit more about Joe Ehrman this morning. Joe Ehrman was an all-pro defensive lineman for the, um, for the Colt organization. Back in the late 70s, early 80s. Joe Ehrman today continues now to build into others. And Joe Ehrman is the one that, that uh, said that the problem with men today is the design for greatness in manhood today is really, uh, early on, it's all about athletic dominance. And I'm going to be better than you and stronger than you. I'm going to get affirmed through that. It moves on to sexual conquest. I'm going to get more women than you or a better looking woman than you. And then finally, we, we kind of keep score and measure our manhood through financial success. And what the world still values, even for us, is, you know, w- what are you doing today that makes you look like a man in terms of physical appearance or strength or uh, what you can do today that no one else can do? It's the whole athletic conquest. And sexual conquest is still there. And financial conquest is still there. And so we see men on covers of magazines who are either the sexiest men alive, the richest men alive, or who can do things that no other men can do. And so we typically do what most folks do, and we pursue what other people honor. And so we're pursuing things that that are broken in their ability to provide for us ultimate significance and greatness. And women look around and go, you really think that's what we want? Just a bunch of guys with six-pack abs? A bunch of guys who can just um, write checks and not care for our hearts? And a bunch of guys who can brag to other men that they can get us in a bed? 
That's your definition of what we're looking for? And typically what we do is we abandon the children that come from those relationships. And so the design that most men have out there for what it is to make them something that the rest of this world is going to admire is very broken. But there's another thing that, that doesn't happen. We're not around a group of men. When, when we're very young, there's a lot of social structures that are set up to really help us, to reinforce things that are good. I mean, we have mothers and fathers that, that um, if they're there, are typically there to affirm us and remind us and celebrate us and, and do what is good. We know that there's a lot of wounds out there and guys didn't have that. But even guys that have that, a lot of times, they, they've got uh, a mom or dad that, that are there, they're always telling them so good, and the kids will kind of go, well, yeah, yeah, well, you have to say that you're my dad. And they're going to look for something a little bit later to come alongside to affirm them that these things that they're pursuing are the right things to pursue and that they have value, and we'll, we'll talk about that. But, but early on, there's a lot of social construct to give us support and encouragement. There are school systems that validate discipline, the hard work and learning. There's award ceremonies for citizens of the month. There are uh, teams where, where coaches uh, measure your performance, they, they'll time you in the 40, they'll uh, see what you can squat, they'll see what they can, you can bench, they'll give you a program, you'll work hard, you'll be around a bunch of guys, and they'll say, let's see where we can go with this, let's see if we can come back you know, after your summer off, go through the workout regimen and be a better teammate, more prepared for excellence in this particular expression of your commitment. Then you'll watch game film. There'll be... Uh, special teams player of the week. They'll be hit of the week. They'll, they'll slow the film down and go, watch this. Watch the way this guy moved away from the ball shifting sports right now. Watch the way he crashed from the weak side. Watch the way he played help defense. And you'll be affirmed and celebrated for choices that you're making that are selfless or that cause great work or, or, uh, or pictures of great effort and other-centeredness. I mean, you even go... You know, um, out of the sports arena in college, there are guys that are part of your fraternal order for many of you, where you fraternize and help and encourage each other. Sometimes you help and encourage each other towards destruction and foolishness, but nonetheless, there are, there are systems that are put in place in so many areas of your life to tell you, that's good, that's what a man does, even if they're broken systems, which is often the case in fraternities. That's what a man does. We're, we're celebrating you because you're the biggest drunk, you're the biggest partier, you're the Biggest womanizer. And so you, you want that affirmation, you keep moving that direction. What often happens is later in life, those structures are not there as much. And guys aren't encouraging you to, to wage faithfully in the fields of battle that can be very, very difficult. Here's what I want you to do. Just, just take a second here. I want you to write down, as you look back over your whole life, from the moment you can really remember, write down the three names of the men that have affected you the most, that have been the greatest uh, mentor, to use the words of uh, that young man and everybody loves Raymond, who poured into you, who helped you significantly. And I just want you to write down, just I'll give you 30 seconds, you don't need to share this with anybody, but if you've got the name of, who are the three guys that have affected me the most? Write, write down those names real quick. You got them? Now, what's interesting is look at those names. And if you've got names, if you're fortunate enough to have names, how many of those men are really actively involved today in your life? 
Aren't most of those men coaches from high school or college if you uh, played ball that long or, or youth leaders, youth pastors? Maybe your dad if you were fortunate enough to have a good father. If you look, most of the men that have had the greatest influence in our life are men that were around from you know, our, our early 20s at the latest prior to that. And listen, that's not altogether bad in the sense that we do need a lot of help and encouragement when we're younger and our, our lives are being formed. But here's the truth. It's almost like we think we can graduate from needing other men around us to coach us, celebrate us, encourage us, and sharpen us. When you get out of SEAL training, you don't lose your platoon leader. You stay right there with them. And believe me, they watch game film. And you are evaluated on every mission. And there is constant PT training that goes on. Where you're going to continue to improve and be evaluated by others who value the same thing. Honor, integrity, courage, preparedness. And it's amazing... If our armed forces could only say, I'll tell you who was great for me, my drill sergeant, that guy really impacted me during my first 60 days in the military. But since then, I've kind of been out here on my own. We would be one hurting military. And when you look at that list of names, how many of those guys that you put down are really men that are with you now? Now, here's what I want to do. I want you to write down, if you would, not over the course of your life, but who are three names of men today? That you would say, these are the guys today that are playing a role in my life of encourager, mentor, coach, teacher, intimate ally and friend. Write down the name of the three men in your life today that are at war with you, that are concerned with you, celebrating you, challenging you, evaluating you, sharpening you. Write those down. All right, now look at that list. And some of you may not have any names to write down, and um, some of you may have written down authors. Some of you may have written down um, public communicators. And and we should all have folks that that are uh, celebrated in their fields or that have the ability to uh, communicate or to package things in a way that are are useful to a larger audience. That's fine. But, But look at the list of folks that are on that three of the second for you, and and ask yourself, how many of those guys really know me? How many of those guys uh, are are pursuing me and picking up the phone and calling me? That know the truth about me? That have a personal relationship with me? And uh, know the things that I'm facing this week? Know the truth about my marriage? Know the truth about my... Uh, if I'm a single guy, about what I do with all my discretionary time and when I'm alone. Because I invite them in and because they pursue me in that way. How many folks are intimate allies with you? Then on that group of three that really know you. The way a coach knows his players. The way a shepherd knows his sheep. I'm going to suggest that most of us don't have a list of three intimate allies in the way that God intends that God says we need in a way that will help us be men. And I want to make sure we talk a little bit about that today, even as we're reminded that this is part of who men are. It's always been a design of God to have others around us to play this role of coach or mentor, leader, sharpener. And it's always been God's design to have somebody who is running with us underneath those kind of men. Let's just go back to that Raymond real clip real quick and we'll wrap up this little bit of laughter and then we'll dive in in earnest. Watch this. 
Okay, it's just we couldn't help noticing that uh, that you really liked this Sam guy, and you you were an inspiration to him, and everything, and we kind of got Jack. <laughs> squat, Jack Squat. Jack Squat, give me a break. See, Frank, maybe this is the attitude. Stop. This is the attitude! <laughs> the same Jack Squat attitude that proves the thesis of our discontent. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, but it sounds like fruity whining to me. <laughs> no, we're not whining, we're pissed off. Yeah, he's pissed off! <laughs> Never gave us the time of day, so how do you think it makes us feel we find out there's a kid out there that you're actually nice to? Maybe he was actually nice to me. Do you ever think of that? What? He was nice to me. He respected me. You guys never did. How could we respect you? How could we respect the guy who looks at you and says, Stop brushing your teeth so loud, I'm trying to watch gun smoke. <laughs> you did brush loudly, Robert. <laughs> Are you helping me, Ma? I was a great father. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You gave us great inspiration, great advice. Quit crying. You got plenty of blood. Don't screw up. You're big. Everyone will notice more. <laughs> so, that is so painful to watch. <laughs> it's funny for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is a lot of us recognize some of that. But again, what I'm saying is these guys are saying, hey, we would have loved that. And the truth is, most of us would love that now. Wouldn't it be great if there's somebody who saw value in you and valued the value that you bring and was going to bring it all out of you and said, I'm for you. I love you. One of my greatest purposes in life is to help you be everything that you were designed to be. And God wants that for you. And if you're out there orbiting on your own, trying to figure out how that's going to be. I want to let you know something. That is not part of God's design for you. You can't look at the Scripture for long and not see that God wants you to be deeply connected with others. It's the very first analogy He uses. I'm a shepherd, you're sheep, come be part of my fold. He uses, I'm the head, be a part of my body. I'm the father, be a part of my family. And when you think about what happens when you take a member of a body and you separate it and you put it somewhere else, it's a very grotesque thing when you describe what happens when my arm comes from here over there. We call it dismembered. And we all have a hard time looking at it and wonder, is there any way to graft it back in? And yet... So many of us are dismembering ourselves. We don't know where to go to have that kind of connection. And it's affecting us as men. All through the scripture, you're going to see this idea of, of older, wiser men encouraging younger men. Not just fathers to sons, but supplements to that. Things that exist all throughout your life. You've got Jethro to Moses. Moses was... Uh, a significant leader and was struggling and Jethro said let me just share with you some things that I've learned otherwise Moses 
the people are going to be exasperated underneath your leadership and you're going to be exhausted and this whole thing's going to break down and fail. Let me help you. You've got, um, you've got Moses himself coming back and just saying, listen, I'm not going to be around for long. And so from uh, the earliest times of his significant national leadership, he had a young man underneath him that he trained, that took over from him. From the very beginning, he was pouring himself into somebody else. The, 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 the greatest prophets in Israel, a guy named Elijah, had a, a servant that was with him named Elisha, S-H. And he taught him what it meant to speak courageously and rightly and to seek the Lord and to be a vessel through which the Lord could reach others. You've got uh, Jesus himself with the twelve. And you've got the twelve who then pour into others. You've got Barnabas, whose name means encourager, who takes a, a renowned terrorist and says, I see God's potential in you, and builds into him. You've got that terrorist himself. His name is Paul, who has a Timothy and a Silas. All through Scripture, there is this idea of men pouring into men and men running with other men. But our tendency is to isolate. Let's look at that next little section here. The result of this um, issue is that we develop real blind spots. Men's tendency to isolate, to deal in superficiality. We lead hurried lives. We operate in fear and inappropriately define accountability. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. It creates emotional, social, and spiritual deficits that result in foolish actions, serious setbacks, discouragements, and overall poor stewardship of life. Now, I want to just say that, that our tendency to not go at this with each other creates all those negative things. But here, to me, is another thing that happens is, is, is sometimes we, we get together and we call something accountability that really isn't accountability at all. By the way, accountability is a great thing. It, it, it fits exactly into what I've been saying up to this point. When, when you hold me accountable, it's because I matter. You're saying, Wagner, you count. You're significant. You have value. And I've got to make sure that all the value that is in you comes out because that is my job as a leader. That's my job as a steward, as a provider. We hold soil accountable to produce crops. We hold trees accountable to produce fruit. And if you're a tree just left alone, you're a dead withering tree that people are going to chop down and burn. And we all want to know that we count, that we matter. I've mentioned this before. You know, I, I can remember uh, in, in certain athletic circles where I stopped really being at the tip of my coach's whistle and really mattering whether or not I ran hard through different drills or whether I did the right thing when we ran through certain plays. And at first I thought, man, that's kind of nice. And then I realized it wasn't nice because he was getting ready to move on and he thought there was something else with more value and I just didn't count as much. And I wanted to count. I wanted to matter. I wanted to contribute and so do you. But what a lot of us do is we leave teams and we just kind of go off here and we invent our own little fantasy leagues where there is no accountability and we can do what we want to do but we really wonder, I wonder if there's a way I could be useful again. And we usually surround ourselves with a bunch of fear and fearful and intimidated people who put up with whatever it is that they've got. And we really wonder, I wonder if I could lead these people differently so they wouldn't live in intimidation and fear, but really celebrate the war that God gave to them in this little kingdom called my family. So you matter. 
You are somebody's king. You are somebody's lover. You are somebody's hero. And believe me, they think you count. And if you don't invite others into you to help you do that to the maximum of your potential, to the maximum of God's intention for you, it's going to be a real broken world with a lot of wounds that God wants you to be a healer of and not a causer of. The scripture says in Proverbs 18.1 that, um, that the person who isolates himself, he who separates himself, seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. And anytime you're not putting yourself in a circle of, a, of, of mattering to others, or if you put yourself in a circle where all you do is a, a weak information exchange, and I've seen this numerous times. I've been to funerals in the city where people stood up and go, we, we don't know what happened, how, he, how this could have happened, how he could jump off that building and commit suicide as a you know, 38-year-old father of three. He was at our Bible study. He was at our accountability group. He did everything a man was supposed to do. And I just want to jump out of my seat and go, Really? Really? And you guys were shocked by his financial condition? You guys were shocked by his emotional state? You didn't know that? And you guys were doing what it is that you're telling people God wants us to do? I don't think so. And superficial accountability, gathering together is not community. Being around each other is not just the goal. I'm going to show you a metaphor, and it is an intentional colliding that really brings about transformation and life change where we're not just laying next to each other to impress people that we're in the same pile but we're doing business with one another that's what brings change let's just work through a few of these things god's intention for man gang is to do this to bear his image you know i I said before i've heard people say this man if you're god's image bearer then i'm not very impressed with your god but God wants us to bear His image, to be a source of glory to Him. He wants us to pursue justice, to exemplify good, to live without regard for ourselves. Men are to be men that others look at and go, you are glorious and right and true. To exhibit kindness, extend grace, offer forgiveness, remain reliable, establish security, embody strength, provide protection, define integrity, show mercy, lead with love. Men lead in relationship. And when you're that kind of man, the rest of the world looks at you and goes, that's what we want more of. I mentioned Joe Ehrman before. Um, in uh, August of 2004, Parade Magazine put him on the cover. I think I might have a picture of it up there. And they say, why we believe this guy is the most important coach in America. And what Joe is doing now, he's actually a pastor in that same area where he used to perform on a football field. And, um, and he also volunteers as a high school football coach. He says it's not because he's won numerous state titles, which he went on to do, but it's because of the way he's developing men. He's taking young men that come from broken neighborhoods, and he's building into them. And they're saying, we want more men like this. This is what a glorious man looks like. And there's nothing in here about his all-proneness. They talk about the way that he teaches men. He says, hey, you know what our job is as coaches? And the kids respond, to love us. And he says, you know what your responsibility is as teammates? To love one another. That's the mantra of Joe's teams. In other words, we're to care for each other. 
I'm here because you count. There's value in you. And it's my job as a coach to bring it out of you. It's my job as a, 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 a coach to help you be in this field called a gridiron all that you should be. But also, I'm developing much more than a football player. Because you can't play that game your whole life. But you can play the game of life every day. And as a coach, I'm going to show you how you do that. And they're saying, if we had more men like this, it would be a better world. See? Hear what I'm saying? This idea here that God wants you to be glorious, that he wants you to be that kind of guy that lives in relationship and, and that lives in humility and love and honor and integrity and, and, and care and concern for others and not just your own dominance, your own sexual pleasure or your own financial stability. The world goes, that is what we're looking for. And if God had those kind of people that were made in his image, I'd want to know that God. And I don't know, man, listen, we're not a bunch of Greek mythologists. Our gods aren't just looking to get it on with mere mortals and have more ambrosia. That's not the God of the Scriptures. He's not there to flex his muscles like Zeus. He is here to die for you because you matter to him. Have you read your Bible? You ought to be real thankful that's your God. And you're supposed to be made in his image, and others are supposed to be really thankful for you. But you're not going to get there by yourself. I'm not, you're not. Here's the truth. The scripture says this, iron sharpens iron, so one, ma- so one man sharpens another. I just said it this way. Authentic relationships with other men are igniters to a healthy life. See, we're not just supposed to be a bunch of rods of iron that are just laying down there next to each other. We're supposed to be doing business with each other. If iron had nerves and emotions, when iron hits iron, sparks would fly and chunks would fall off and that iron would go, this is not pleasant. But at the end of the day, it's a sword. It's a fortified tool. It's useful to its master. But you've got to be, you've got to be committed to the process. And you can't just lay next to each other, bundled up, saying, I'm doing this thing. No. You're investing in each other's lives. Most of us don't reach our maximum potential. It's because every time it gets difficult, every time it hurts, every time we're told to, to, to deal with something that needs to be chiseled away in our life, I'm going to run away. I'm going to say, that's not love. I'm going to isolate myself, separate myself, seek my own desire, and in doing so, quarrel against all sound wisdom. It's the, it's the spark. I want to tell you, I believe every man in this room has got the kindling necessary to be a bright and glorious flame that brings heat and light to others. But there's something that has to ignite it, and then there's something that has to sustain it. And I, I believe that, that one of the things that, that we'll do, even when we say we love God, we'll study our Bible, we'll pray on our own, but a lot of guys are really afraid to get in with other guys and go, now I want you to talk about that Bible I'm reading with me. I want you to pray for me and speak prayerfully into my life about the fruit that you're seeing, the dullness that you're seeing, or to encourage me in the sharpness that I'm seeing. When you see God using me well, I want you to tell me that it was worth the preparation I had to go through so God could use me well. You know, one of the things I I love to do is when I have friends that are out in different places, you know, I I love to call them when they're there. I love to encourage them when they're gone. And when they get back, go, how'd you do, man? How'd you do in the television in that hotel room when nobody was around? What'd you do with that extra time you had because there weren't kids to love when you got home because you were on the road? 
What did you do with the, the discretionary time you had there that wasn't here? Did you read a little extra? Did you memorize? Did you go over? Way to go. That's what a man does. He disciplines himself for the purpose of godliness. Well done. Did you say no to the pleasures of your flesh? Did you flip on spank a vision? Or did you keep the TV off and really cultivate your soul? That's what men do. Way to go. And if they didn't, love them. Talk about triggers in their life. Talk about the wisdom of putting themselves back in that situation where they don't have a swim buddy and the ocean of temptation overwhelms them and say, look, let's, not, let's make real change. Well, I know it's going to affect you financially, but you know what? Who really cares about financial success if you can't be a man while you go pursue it? Let's make some changes. You matter more than just making money. They may want to isolate and say, why well, get away from me? And some do. And others move on. That's painful conversation. But you've got to let guys in. You've got to tell them the truth and you've got to encourage each other in the process. As iron sharpens iron, so when one man sharpens another. It's what ignites us to the fullness of our potential. How about this? When a man of many friends comes to ruin, it says in Proverbs 18, verse 24, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. What this is saying is, listen, you, you, you can't just be a guy that just moves around from man to man um, and, and everybody likes you. That's what it means when it says a man of many friends come to ruin. A man of no real substance, no real character, no real backbone. He's, he's led by the polls. He's a politician, not a statesman. Not a man who lives for the good of the state, but a man who tries to discern the wind of the day so that he can do what the day wants him to do so he can win again. Our country has way too many politicians and not enough statesmen. Who say, listen, I'm not here to get reelected. I'm here to serve you. If you don't want me to serve you in this way, then let your blood be in somebody else's hands. Can our country use that? I think so. But instead, we've got men that want power, prestige, position. Because they think that's what men are, powerful, prestigious people. But I'm here to tell you, that's not the men the world's looking for. They resent those men. And they don't want to follow them. And you can see what happens when we're led by him. Real men have others around them that are saying, I'm going to stick close to you, even though when it's difficult, even when you try and push me away, I'm going to come at you in every way that I can and love you in every way you'll let me. And men have decided, these are the men that matter to me. These are the voices that I want to pursue. And I'm going to be brothers with these guys. Authentic, true relationships with other men is the antidote, an antidote to an irresponsible life. I want you to, um, well, I'm not even going to do it for time's sake, but I had a clip of just a guy that has an area in his life that he's blind to. It's kind of a humorous clip, but, but he's getting worn out by this thing and he can't even see it because there's nobody close to him to tell him what it is that's wearing him out. We've got to charge ahead. I just saw what time it is. How about this proverb? Two are better than one. Because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. This is what I was talking about a little bit earlier. When I said that we've got to have men around us that can say, okay, look, you know, you blew a knee out. We'll put somebody else in your spot. We're going to get you healthy again and get you back in the game. You made a mistake last week. That's okay. We're not done with you. Let's work on some things this week that will help you be effective in that manner. They're there to encourage you. One of the things that a coach does is he says to you, hey, next play, great athletes aren't perfect. Great athletes overcome their difficulties. And they keep 
persevering. Psalm 3 talks about how thou, O Lord, are a shield around me. You're my glory and the lifter of my head. Get your head up. Come here, look at me, Todd. I know what just happened. I died for that. Let's talk about why it happened. Let's talk about the triggers. Let's talk about the lack of preparation. Let's talk about the isolation that led to that. But I'm not done with you. Hey, what are you on your third marriage? I'm not done with you. Hey, you still in that addictive cycle? I'm not done with you. I'm here. You still count and matter to me. Now look, you keep doing what you're doing. You're not going to like what you got, but I love you and I'm there for you. Do you have men like that in your life? It's part of God's provision for you. Authentic relationships with other men are God's provision for the difficulties of life. This world is a beating. The ocean is a terrible swim buddy. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let us consider how to um, stimulate one another on the love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together, this is the habit of some, but encouraging each other. And that all the more, as you see the day drawing near, that word stimulate means to annoy. It's a rub. It's, it's what it's, it gets you moving. Authentic relationships with other men are essential for us to maximize our life. It's what God uses. It's what we need. We all have a tendency to, to drift towards compromise, and we need other guys to go, no, 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 I'm going to stimulate you. You can do more. Let's go. And to celebrate what you're doing right. It's not just an annoyance. It's a time to affirm you. And it gets back to what all of us need, not just from Dad, but all men. I think you want to flip your sheet over here. All men need men who will give them acceptance, affirmation, and accountability. Attention, affection, way to go. That's what a man does. We hold you in high regard. Did everybody know this? Did you see the way that guy just said no to this to say yes to that? I was with a guy yesterday on his second marriage. First marriage was a miserable failure. His second marriage, though, uh, this guy is well into his 50s. He's got a little eight-year-old boy. And we were talking about a lot of different stuff, and it just kind of came up that this weekend, he's going in a camp out with his eight-year-old boy, and he said, all the other dads, I am literally old enough to be all the dads that are going with me's dad. And I'm going to an eight-year-old camp out. And I just stopped there by going, did you all just hear what he just said? And I wasn't there to mock him. I said, that is the most encouraging thing that I have heard in weeks. I go, way to go. That's what a man does. And he goes, well, I didn't do it right the first time. I go, well, man, you're doing it now way to go that blesses me you go lay in a tent on a hard ground with a bunch of guys you think you got nothing to do with because there's a little man that you got everything to do with that's a man that blessed me see we need that because there's a lot of things i mean you know this guy's a member of a rather nice golf club i'm sure there's a tournament there this weekend it happens to be if you haven't noticed there's a rather big basketball game a few of them going on this weekend who wouldn't mind watching them now, I'll rebuke the sap out of the sucker if I find out that he's going to camp out with one of those little trailers and HDTVs and let the kids roast weenies while the dads sit over here and drink beer and watch basketball. That ain't a camp out, men. I've been on men who do that camp out with their son. What a joke. I'll tell you what happened Monday. Here we go. Isolated men are not real men. Real men know how to commit. I'm going to be here for you. This is what men do, guys. How to communicate. How to communicate their feelings, their insecurities, their concerns, truth. Hey, this is what's going on in my life. I want to tell you about it. I'm committed to being this man. I'm committed to being this leader, this husband. 
I got to tell you my insecurities. I got to tell you my concerns. I got to tell you my failures. And then I'm going to speak truth to you. Men had to do that. They know how to confess. Real men know how to confess. Confess is just a word that means agree. Hey, that wasn't good. I admit I got burned deep right there. I didn't do my job. I wasn't conditioned appropriately. I want to be. They know how to do these things. So they don't keep making their mistakes. So they can change. So they don't drive people crazy. Men don't give up. They're strong. They stand firm. What's the ultimate solution for this? I want to tell you, I, I, I love this definition by Joe Orman. Masculinity ought to be defined. I've already said, not by athletic dominance or sexual conquest or financial success, but Ehrman says this in this article. Masculinity ought to be defined in terms of relationships and taught in terms of the capacity to love and be loved. Guess what? That's the way God has revealed himself. And if you're made in his image, he said, ultimately, as a God, the glory of who I am is revealed in the way that I love and pursue you and all your brokenness and tell you that you matter and make every provision with all my perfection and eternal dignity redeem you from your eternal judgment. And you want to know what makes God great? What makes God great is the fact that he defines himself in terms of love, eternal mutual submission and communion and community and love and mutual exaltation in this God who is three and yet one. That defines who God is. And his glory is revealed in the way that he invites you into that fellowship of hearts. That is a good God. And I am so glad I'm made in his image. I'm so glad he's made provision for me in my imperfect reflection of that. And I'm asking you to jump in with me and spur me on towards it. (sighs) Real men don't live life alone. They intentionally share their life and learnings with others. That's what we do. I mean, 2 Timothy 2.2, write it down. I don't think I have it down there for you. I'm always looking for faithful, available, teachable men. That's who I want to spend my life with. These things... Paul writes, that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Verse 3 says, be strong with me in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4 says, don't get mixed up in the ways of the world like everybody else does. But, but you've got to learn to live in a way that will please the one that enlisted you as a soldier. That's, that's that whole section right there. And real men do that. They don't get mixed up in toys or distractions. They're at war. To help men that are lost be restored to where they've been restored to. Overcoming father wounds, societal wounds, mother wounds, and heart wounds by the grace of God. That's what men do. You want some of this? I'm going to tell you what, man. The feminization of Christianity, the emasculation of the church. It's, it, it just, it, it is, um, I am so glad that that's not what's going on here. This ain't just a place to show up and shut up and pay up. This is a place to go to war. That's who we are. We're men at war. And all we want to do is serve others, give our life away. And we need to regularly go, hey, let's just gather together. Let's pin something on this guy. He took a purple heart for the kingdom over here. There was an act of valor. Here's a medal of of accommodation. Here's a bronze star. Here's a kill. Here's where he dove on a grenade for his family. Do you have that happening? And probably that your family has been decimated. Do you have men celebrating you? Because if not, you probably won't dive on it again. 
Real men don't live life alone. Great men are great mentors to other men. And I like to tell folks all the time, your success is determined by your successor. The, the idea here is, look, you know, don't go looking for just a mentor. I'm going to talk about that very briefly, very quickly here in just a moment. But let me just say, we all mentor each other. We all, it's not like we find this one, you know, sensei that's at the top of a mountain that if we're lucky enough, we found a map to get to him and get some time with him. Some Sherpa can take us there. No, but, but listen, when I'm with you, we, we, we sharpen each other. We mentor each other. We help each other. In some way, Emerson said, every man is my teacher. And I'm for you. You're for me. You matter. You're part of this body. I'm part of your body. We have one head, one Lord, one Savior, one Father. And he wants everybody in his family to be maximized in their usefulness. And our usefulness will be all different because we're all made differently for his glory. But our, our success is ultimately going to be determined by success. I've spent a lot of time with a, a bunch of 30 and 20-somethings in our church lately, and I'm telling them all the same thing. I go, listen, guys, I've I got to tell you, if, if somebody told me uh, 12 years ago that I had to be responsible for, for uh, doing my part in, in having uh, a, a property and a, and a facility and a people of this size and manner that we've got here of men, I, I would be overwhelmed. I wouldn't know how to do it. But I will tell you this, if you think it's hard to take from eight families to where we are today in 12 years, you know what's even harder? In 10 more years, having somebody give it to you. That's a whole lot harder than being a part of what God ramps up. And so, I got to tell you, you better learn what it means to be a man. I mean, it's, it's hard to earn about you know a million dollars in business. It's even harder to keep it, and it's even harder to inherit it. And so our success here as men in this generation is going to be determined by our successors. Because even if we're faithful with this thing, this, this, this opportunity, we're going to hand it to men. They're going to make it another dead mon- monument to this thing that used to be an expression of faithfulness. And so we've got to pour ourselves into others. We've got to share with them everything we can. So when it's their time to be Moses or Joshua or Elisha, they're ready. Great mentors provide us with wisdom, with warnings, with words of encouragement. They don't compete with you. They're looking to, to see you pass them. I love watching Barnabas in Scripture. It's Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. And all of a sudden, for some reason, it's Paul and Barnabas. It's Paul and Barnabas. It's Paul and Barnabas. Because Barnabas wasn't about saying, hey, oh, oh, you're my boy, and when I move on and die, then you can become the man. But until then, I'm the man. No, Barnabas was like, look, my job is to maximize you and make you everything you're supposed to be. And so if your gifts are, are more useful to mine in a greater way than mine, then that's my gift, to make you ready for that giftedness and that moment. You know, I don't know if you've noticed around here, there's a few guys I'm having you know, participate with what I'm doing here. And typically when they show up, people don't go, oh, we really miss Todd. They're like, is Todd back? Really? This isn't about me. Nothing we do is about us if we're men. You look for a guy that you can maximize his giftedness, and if that giftedness requires more room than your gifts, then you've done your job with your gifts. Mentors should look for a way to not compete, but to really celebrate and encourage and, and to warn them and to share life's learning. I try and just share my you know, dumb tax. I've paid some of it. So you don't have to. Great mentors don't want fans. 
They want humble men with a plan. Let me just say this to you. When you look for others to share life with, and specifically if you're going to look for a guy that you're going to go to to get wisdom and glean them from, guys that are great in what they do, they want to share what they're great at. But they don't want a bunch of fans. They don't want folks who want to be able to drop your name at a party. Oh, I had lunch with so-and-so. Or so-and-so's mentoring me or shepherding into my life. I, I can remember a story of when I went about 25 years ago up to a guy and, and asked him to spend some time with me. And it took me about three weeks to get this. And I sat there in his office. And seven minutes after I got there, I found myself outside talking to his secretary. And I thought, how did I get out of here? I worked for three weeks, four weeks to get some time with this guy. And the reason is because I got in there and I just wanted to kind of have something magic happen while I was in there. I didn't really know why I was there, except I thought if I was near him that somehow, hey, I could tell people, do you know that that guy and I are hanging out? And secondly, maybe because we hung out that I would be like him. And he realized that right away and very politely in a way that I didn't even know what happened. I'm not kidding you. Inside 10 minutes, I was outside his office. How did I get out of here? I thought I was supposed to be in there. Now, over the next course of a few years, um, as I matured and understood some of my insecurity and wrong thinking, he and I actually, actually became very good friends. And he spent all the time with me that was appropriate because he saw something worth investing. He didn't even remember that day. He said, Todd, I do that all the time when guys come in here as fans. But when I find men who are purposeful, so let me just tell you a few things I've learned um, here. You, you know how to ask. I mean, excuse me, first, who to ask. You know, who your heroes are determine a lot of who you are. All right? You, you want to be great in the business world? Gordon Gecko should not be at the top of your list, though he might help you find a Learjet in a nice penthouse office. So you better know who to ask. Someone who models what really makes a man. Know why you're asking. If you're looking for a best friend, somebody to heal your daddy wound, get time with your hero so you can be a name dropper and impress people at parties, don't waste their time. You're not asking for that reason, to spend time with somebody that you want to learn from. By the way, I'm not talking here about real community. I'm just saying if there's somebody you want to learn from, know why you're asking. Know what you're asking. Come with questions. Be specific. One of the things I do, if I need time with somebody, I'll say, look, these are my specific questions I want to ask you. If there's a better way for me to get this information via email or uh, if there's resources you want to direct me to, that's great, but I would love to get with you and ask A, B, and C. And if after 30 minutes... I will get up and walk and leave uh, your presence unless you invite me to stay. This is what I want. This is why I'm asking. I'd love for you to help me for this reason. Know exactly why you're there and what you're going to say and what you're going to ask. Know how to ask. Respect their time. Don't say, hey, can we just get together every, every Wednesday for coffee? The guy goes, I, look, I'm not looking to date you. You're not my girlfriend. No, we can't get together every week for coffee. Find community, but if, if there's somebody, I, I get together with groups of guys here all the time who do this with me. I'll get a, they'll say, Todd, can I get together? And I'm like, well, what, what, what for? Well, I just want to, I kind of want to hang out with you. I go, okay, I'm not looking for fans. Well, here's a question. If they make up a question on the spot, I'm going, no, here's a book, go read that. But they might say, hey, here's some things that we're wrestling with. Here's some things we're struggling with. The first thing I do is I ask them if they already spend time with all the resources they have. Have you exhausted your community? Yeah, none of us are really stuck on this thing. Great then why don't you find a time, give me a couple of times that all your community can get together and I'll make one of those work in my schedule. I'll get with all of your community. I'll multiply my time. And we'll work through these things. We'll talk about these things. And we'll make sure that we have, um, you know, 
a healthy and productive conversation. And you got to know how to avail yourself to what's already there. Sometimes I'll just say, hey, listen to this message, this sermon series. If there's somebody you want to spend some time with that's already written a book, read it. If they've already spoken on the issue, listen to the message. And then if you've got questions out of that, go to them. But avail yourself to everything that's already there. Just some useful tips that might help you as you kind of make your way through. Real men, guys, and just summing it all up, connect deeply with others. They live by a code of honor. This is not about me. I'm not going to do it alone. I'm not going to do it for me. And they serve a cause greater than themselves. Which you say in a nutshell is real men are like Jesus. And guys, I'm inviting you in to receive all the grace that Jesus provides and to achieve all the dignity that he wants for you. And I will tell you, you don't want to do it alone. That's why we've got these little things called um, groups that are going to hook up as men process each of the things that we've talked about for the next couple of weeks. I am really humbled that we've gathered together this way for the last five. But if all it is is just a bunch of notes or a bunch of moments when we left here and, and, and re- heard the echo of something that sounded familiar to us and we don't do anything with it, then we are fools. Wise men hear and act. And wise men don't go alone. And so we want to invite you into community. We want to invite you into groups of guys that can keep processing and mentor one another. Come up with questions. And if all you guys in that group are stumped, we'll tell you where to go as a group to be mentored some more. But there's not a single guy in this room that doesn't matter. Every one of you count. And we are shepherds of one another. And mentors of one another. And men. Don't go out alone. When you leave today, they'll hand you a little card. Fill it out. We'll follow up with you. And we'll get you connected. All right? Just like some of you guys, it's going to be just like when you enlist. You're going to jump up. You're not going to know anybody in your platoon. And they might become the best friends in your life. All right? And uh, you'll learn to live and love, live with them and love them the way they're going to live with you and love you. So today, let us know. We'll follow up with you this week. But for the next four weeks, same time, 7 to 8, we'll meet right up stairs in the second floor. Jump in with us. We've got guys waiting to pour into you. If you've got men you're doing it with, write it down. Say, these are the men. Give us some stuff to talk about so we can drive this home. Proud of you guys. Father, I pray these men would be on the alert. I pray they'd stand firm in the faith. I pray they'd be strong. I pray they'd let everything they do be done in love. I pray they'd be image bearers. And to do that, they've got to be reconciled to Jesus. If there's any man here that wants to know about a loving God who wants to make provision for them that they might come back and have their heart wound healed, sin dealt with, that they could then be fathered by you into all the measure of a man that you intend for them. Would you help them not leave today until that business is taken care of? And for those of us that have made that decision, would you help us now to walk together toward you? For your glory and our good, I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Going to camp out without your TVs. We'll see you.